0: a couple minutes this morning trying to research who's in charge of Legends Row, who is the gatekeeper for that monument outside Scotiabank Arena because I'm getting ready to file my application for Nick Felino. Welcome to the Nick Felino era. Unbeaten in the Nick Felino era. Playing a two-minute shift to close out, at that point, a one-goal hockey game against your closest pursuer in the North Division.
1: He's perfect. <laughs> I don't I don't know how else to put this. It's one game. And yeah. I can't believe there are people out there that wanted Taylor Hall over that guy. I'll never get over it. I'm gonna lord that over people until the day they step into their <laughs> analytics filled graves. Because you watch everything about Nick Felino was Maple Leafs yesterday. He yeah. shows up with his dad's hat from '93, yeah. and he's just killing it. And he's the kind of guy who just knows the market already, right? Like, uh-huh. he just knows what's going to work and what's going to pop and pop. He's playing it us like it. a fiddle. Hey, straight up, I got texts from two different people saying, Where do you get the Felino hat? And I said, what?
0: Do you have a time machine?
1: Yeah. You get it from <laughs> Nick Felino personally. You have to get it from him or another we member. Get,
0: we can't get the Scott Boris hat and we can't go back in time and get the Nick Felino hat. It's just – it's not happening.
1: There are some guys who put on sweaters or jerseys, uniforms, however you want to put it. And – it just looks like that's what they've been wearing their entire career or that their entire career has been leading up to them rocking that uniform. You know, just some guys fit in different uniforms, right? Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah.
0: It's the role he was meant to play.
1: Right. It's like the... <sighs> he just – the second I saw him, I thought this guy was meant for this. This guy was meant to be in Toronto – as the feature piece of a deadline, a signature piece of the deadline. He's the beautiful, like, rug that ties the roof together that you bought. It's like, yeah, he's not the furniture. This is not Matthews, you know? It's not the television. It's not Tavares, but it's this rug. <laughs> this rug is real nice. It's a really nice rug. Rugs are expensive. They're more expensive than you think. Right. But <laughs> it's tying everything together. And without the rug... We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be looking at this room in the same way. I just... What what are you supposed to pick nits at? He's already clearly a guy that is liked by his teammates. The first goal, the, the, the Marner goal, the way they're all celebrating together, they all think he's got a point there. They're all just celebrating it like he did it. It was Matthews <laughs> passing it to him. They're all trying to get him his first one. I, I, he gets the one at the end. Marner goes and fishes up the puck. The room is good, right? He's He entered a room that is very, very good, as has been stated a million times by Joe Thornton in every single Zoom conference, and has been stated by Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas when addressing the deadline. But you could really see it last night why that matters to them, why that matters, that they're phasing in another good guy who can play and do all the right things. And again, this guy's so versatile, so versatile in terms of where he can play in your lineup, that they slapped him on the top line, which mm-hmm. threw us all for a loop. That's the one place we didn't put him. And guess what? Look great. Look, Guess what? Coaching staff trusts him right away. Guess what? Things like chemistry and working your way back up uh, seems fine. Nick Foligno seems fine, just fine. Thank you very much. Everything that I thought he was going to be and more.
0: Team high three hits. Kills the penalty in the third period in the one-goal game. On the ice, ki- killing off the five-on-six. Gets the empty net assist uh, on the Mitch Marner goal. Plays on the top line. Wasn't a perfect game. Leafs didn't dominate the Jets by any stretch of the imagination. And Connor Hellebook is, I I don't know. I don't know what happened to Connor Hellebook yesterday. I haven't seen that guy this season. No. Uh, you, you hope you, you run into that guy in the postseason if you play that team in a seven game series but he absolutely checked every single box in what you expected to get from that player at the deadline and imagine it on the ice six on five that final shift was about 2 minutes long and we should stop doing this but i'm going to do it one last time the taylor hall thing like imagine taylor hall even suggesting to sheldon keith that he should be on the ice in the final moments of that hockey game. It's
1: just not. I will never happening. stop doing that. I will never stop doing that. I took receipts, mm-hmm. I have them all printed out. I'm I'm like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind, you know, where I just have all the papers of all person? the tweets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Of all, they're all over my office. I just look at them every day. I'm like, and then did you see this guy wanted Taylor Hall for Lakefield? People come over like, who? Yemen? Yeah, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe you should go outside. Nope. Maybe you should go for a little no. bit of walk. No, no. 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 no.
0: <laughs> There's people trying to get my brain outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm safe it's in here. Safe, safe, safe. Uh, oh, all watch the games. It's all
1: connected. It's all connected.
0: But, yeah, the way John Tavares is playing yeah. right now, the way William Nylander is playing right now, if you've got that top line doing what it's doing, and then you can throw Zach Hyman and Ilya Mikheyev together with, I don't know, Alex Kerfoot on that third line, now you got something. Now you got a hockey team. Hmm.
1: So, I actually think a big reason why Felino went up to the top line is. Tavares and Nylander are going so well the last couple of games that you just didn't even want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to add a new element of, hey guys, you got to worry about phasing in the new guy kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't know. I'm going to ask Versteeg about that theory in a few, but that was the sense I got. I, I, I got to figure that the initial plan was never to put Felino with the top group. That the initial plan was to put him with those two guys. But they're going so well right now. Nylander looks like a new man since he came back from the COVID oh thing. Like God. I actually feel like he did the Kobe Bryant goes to Germany and got some <laughs> uh, stem cells. T- I don't know. So he got something. He looks he looks bigger. <laughs> like he was he always this big. He's yeah. honestly looks bigger. And Tavares, I have another theory of. I wonder if they sort of pace Tavares's minutes a little bit so that he would be able to look like this guy at this juncture, right? Oh. That. It oh, was a yeah, bit yeah. of in-season load management as to why they were only playing a Team Canada player 17 minutes a night. And he only and,
0: played 17-25 yesterday.
1: Right, but you're. I think you're going to see him look more and more like this guy down the stretch and that they're going to have the ability to give him a few more minutes game in, game out. I just, Tavares looks amazing. Tavares looks exactly like 40-goal season with Mitch Marner-Tavares, he and Nylander flying around. All of a sudden, you really do feel this has been the first little mini-stretch where you really, really, really feel this season the whole two-lines thing, where every time one of those groups goes over the boards, you feel as though the Leafs are dominating.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's great. And we knew that was the, the template for this team to be successful and go on a deep playoff run. The third line, the, the thing that came out of training camp and had us kind of excited, or the, was the game plan, was that third line shutdown line, which we've
1: just I still don't want that.
0: We've, we've had such a few, so few opportunities to see that. But I don't know if I necessarily want it either. But here's what I know. Ilya Mikheyev and Zach Hyman work. I mean, Zach Hyman works with everybody. But they've so worked with They they've worked with Pierre Engvall. They can certainly work with Alex Kerfoot. I, I am fully comfortable with that third line. If these top two lines look like they have recently, sure. and specifically the Tavarro's nylander line.
1: I just don't know why you would ever want more minutes for Alex Galchenyuk than Zach Hyman. I just think that's stupid. I think that's poor strategy. If Zach Hyman is available to you, then you want to play Zach Hyman 20 minutes. And yeah, there's ways of moving him around and shuffling. But I, again... One of the things about this lineup is that you should really have quality roster balance with your top six. So, no, I don't do the shutdown line thing. I just say, hey, choppers, go out there and chop and make sure you don't let in goals. I, 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 don't, I just don't see it that way. I think that you should have enough secondary scoring through down your lineup once they're in their properly slotted places in Galchenyuk and Spezza and... Oh, Joe Thornton's scoring goals now, too, so, you know, maybe he's no, back.
0: Not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Simmons he's getting scoring goals.
1: Yeah, Simmons scoring goals, so maybe they're just they're ready to rock for the playoffs. Or what did Kyle Dewis keep saying during the media conference? Ready yeah, to I roll? Think, ready to roll. Let's that roll. was it. That's ready to roll. They were ready to roll.
0: Yeah.
1: I think you load up your top six. But whatever. I'm not going to be crying about it. I'll definitely be mentioning it if they don't do it, but it feels as though we probably – feels more and more like we won't see it before the season's over, right? At some point, if Freddie Anderson is moving around and he's capable of anything, I would guess that if they can put Hyman on LTIR and get him up to speed and get him skating, that it's going to be fine. What, how do you, what do you think about my Anderson theory in this regard, too? I want to bring this up to you. So last night I'm watching Hellebuck, and he lets in those bad goals, and... For someone like me, it's kind of an opportunity to take a jab at people who don't watch any other hockey and think that Freddie Anderson's the only goalie on the planet that lets goals in that they deem as quote-unquote soft, where it's, hey, this guy is capable of having that kind of a night too. I know that Anderson's were more, uh, that he had put more of those kind of games together, and his play was not up to snuff, but I still believe that he is a good goaltender. So I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking... Are games as important in seasons where there's no fans as they would have been in the past, right? Like getting this guy back into a game, getting Freddie Anderson back into a game. When you're a goaltender, how closely can you not just replicate things in a scrimmage where you're saying, hey, there's no fans. Mm -hmm. We're going to play hard against you. We're going to take shots against you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, there's the pressure, of course. Like that's the main thing for everybody. But in terms of like getting your body up to speed and getting you feeling like in a place where you're healthy, is it as important as years past where you would wanna have a conditioning stint or a couple of games that didn't mean as much but were because all of these games feel a little bit scrimmagey at times. Like you said yesterday was a playoff or the most important the most game of the important. season. That didn't feel like the most important no, game didn't. of the season. It sure did. I was
0: trying to get my heart rate up, like I was no. trying to be like, "Hey, this matters. It's a one-goal game in the third period, and it was. I was yeah, intrigued and obviously watching, but I of didn't course, at all feel like watching. so. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't at all feel like something was on the line. I didn't. No, and I'm I'm just being honest. And something was on the line, but I just didn't feel it.
1: Right. So. I don't mean to be uh, diminishing these games to this degree, and the players would be so pissed if they heard me say it, but yeah, these do feel like glorified scrimmages at this point. They feel like when your NFL team gets to have one of those uh, preseason scrimmages against another team where the first time you show up and you go, hey, nobody kill each other. We're just here trying to run drills essentially against one another because everybody's in. Vancouver's not getting in, beating Edmonton five straight times. It's not happening. So, I don't know. Maybe Edmonton brings their A game to one of these Vancouver matchups. But for the most part, I have to believe most of these teams are going to have stretches where they play hard, long stretches where they don't. And injuries are going to be in guys' heads where they say, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt when we're this close to the finish line. We're right there, right on the doorstep. It's just not that intense. It's just not. And I imagine it will ramp up for the playoffs, but it's not there right now. So if we're saying these games are not that intense and these games are glorified scrimmages and these games are, hey, let's take a look at some line combinations. Like, dude, why do you think like, they're throwing guys in the lineups for the Leafs saying, hey, we want to take a look at this guy. We want to take a look at that guy. All right. I, nobody has a problem with it. No Leafs fan right now is saying, don't look at Rasmus Sandy, Don't put Nick Roberts in the lineup. Don't put Adam Brooks. doesn't matter because everybody knows what – The goal is now. It's to get us to the playoffs as healthy as possible with maybe a bit better of a power play and a goaltender who looks good going into it, right? But with Freddie Anderson, that's what I'm saying. How important is it for him to actually play in these games? How important is it for him to do it versus having him go in there with a completely clean slate... He is healthy. He's played in a bunch of scrimmages and practices and is feeling himself, and the guys have gassed him up, and they bring him in for just a playoff game. I just don't think it's the same as years past is all. I I, I believe it's easier to do.
0: I buy absolutely everything you're saying mm-hmm. with one caveat. But, yeah, I I, I get it. You're right. Like, mm-hmm. what's, what's a better test than facing Austin Matthews' shot on mm-hmm. a routine basis in a practice, in a scrimmage, even if it's at half speed? You're not going to face many shots as good as Austin Matthews in a real National Hockey League game. That should be a good test for you. It should be a confidence booster if you're able to stop it. But when we're talking about Frederick Anderson, and I don't know if this counts because it's not a start, but he's a notoriously slow starter out of the gates, right? Beginning of the season, it does take Frederick Anderson a little bit of time to get some games under his belt before he starts to become Frederick Anderson. Even in his season where he got Vesna votes a couple of years ago. That was a, it was a rough go in the fall for him. I don't know if that factors in. I'm I'm an advocate in all sports and baseball is a lot different, but I the the rehab stuff and waiting forever to get guys back to the major leagues is painful to me. And obviously, I don't know nearly as much as the people that are there that are monitoring these people, but'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an advocate in all sports about, hey, just throw them out there it's It's different, even when you talk about Nick Felino will will tell you the seven days off of his feet and not playing a game in 10, like his hands, he felt a little bit sluggish and he wasn't dangling guys, and he, his minutes were a little bit down from the other two teammates, but it's I think a lot different if you're a goalie. I, I
1: tell you what
0: you, what you say makes a lot of sense to me.
1: I think the slow starter thing with Freddie Anderson is total BS. I really do. Okay. I, I just think it's like such a picky choosy. The guy's a bit of a roller coaster. He goes hot, he goes cold. In twenty nineteen, he had a nine twenty save in the first in October. He had nine twenty save. He was great. Like I am just saying that. How do we judge these things? We're we're always saying, "Hey, save percentage is a little overrated. It's a little overstated." And then we use it and we say, "Well, when he first became a Toronto Maple Leaf, that first like week of games." He yeah. let in some bad goals, and he didn't look very good, and fans and was were hurt. freaking out.
0: Remember, he yeah. got hurt at the World Championships or whatever And was.
1: everyone took that first impression, and then they said, well, this is just who this guy is. He's a notoriously slow starter, and you're going to pull up some stats. I don't care. I think it's okay. BS. I do not think that there is something about Freddie Anderson where all of a sudden he's letting in softer goals because the season is starting. I do not believe that. I believe that the guy is just a fine goaltender who has ups and downs, and is a little bit more of an up-and-down yo-yo guy than other great goaltenders who are like a little bit more consistently good. That's all. So I'm not even saying that this is definitely going to happen. It's just that I keep talking myself into what the possibilities could be and what they would be comfortable with because I am less comfortable with the idea of Jack Campbell. And he came up with some good saves yesterday and they barbecued him early on where they just gave up that TJ Brody play. Whoa. If you want to talk about what it didn't why it didn't feel like a playoff game, TJ Brody doing that was the worst play oh. of his season and it was just, oh, these guys don't care about this game if they're doing that. But the third one on Jack was yuck and yeah.
0: It's in the slot, I just, yeah, it's the high slot. I don't care.
1: It was not a good goal. And I would just rather see Freddie Anderson in and that in game one. I just would. That's where I'm at. Jack Campbell gets extremely hot from now to the end of the season. Then I think you ride the hot hand. But if he's just playing the way that he is right now, which is mm. good, not great, i still go to Freddie. Anyway, we shouldn't have gotten to Freddie Anderson here because there's lots of other stuff from that actual game. I just couldn't help it when I thought about actually watching Hellebuck let some in. So, yeah, sloppy game. Felino was amazing. Tavara's line is rolling. Do you have anything else on Leafs right now, or can I pivot to tonight with the Raptors?
0: Oh, uh, maybe just Wayne Simmons. Man, I haven't seen enough of the Wayne. Like, take that penalty 100 times out of 100. Thank God. Especially in a meaningless, I know meaningful, but meaningless regular season game. Your goalies have been out of the lineup like every other game. Anyone comes within three feet of Jack Campbell, destroy them. With your bare hands. And Wayne Simmons did that. I was more than pleased to see him in the penalty box. It was absolutely fine. Thank you, Wayne Simmons.
1: Yeah, I've wondered about Wayne Simmons' health for a while now because he has not been the same level of badass presence on the ice as when he first arrived with the Leafs. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really been provided an answer was as to why other than the injury and the guy saying you know what I really don't want to hurt my hands because I want to be here for playoff games which is reasonable um but it had to be taken in consideration but no the, I still think they need that Wayne Simmons element and there was the funny Spezza quote in that uh Jonas Siegel article from about Jason Spezza which was excellent by the way how <laughs> Jason Spetsa didn't feel taller when he had an enforcer in the lineup. He felt like he was going to get more ice time, so that they were basically playing with 11 forwards. But I still do believe that in a playoff matchup where they're going to want guys to be like, did you see Mark? Like, watch Mark Shifley play where he is just flying around with reckless abandon and he wants to mix it up all game long. I love Mark Shifley. He's so fun to watch. And I want somebody who will stand up to Mark Shifley who will push back to Mark Shifley. And I think is one of those guys. I certainly think Wayne Simmons is one of those guys. So, yeah, it was nice to see that version of Wayne Simmons. You're right. It's a good note.
0: We knew Nick Felino's impact would not be necessarily quantifiable on the score sheet. He eventually got there uh, with the empty netter. We were living in the Nick Felino age, though, right off the hop. First shift of the game, it's a goal. It's the Nick Felino effect. Uh, let's talk to Chris Versteeg, our favorite, Stanley Cup champion. Um, so, Chris, Nick Felino great Maple Leaf or the greatest Maple Leaf of all time?
2: Well, he's already better than the old man. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Clear. That's, hey, yeah. What, can someone explain to me why he didn't get an assist on the Marner goal? Because I
0: guess that they said that there was a turnover slightly. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, that's uh, a
2: joke. That's an assist. Anyways, I I've been a part of the league for eleven years, and in certain buildings, they want to pull these stunts. They take these points away from players, and they don't realize how pivotal these points are for players. Just like in Calgary, these guys would take points away all the time from guys um, really? because they thought it was like. You know, it wasn't like a direct pass. It got tipped. And then you go into other buildings and guys get points all the time, you know. So that point last night, I'm like, why isn't that a point for Felino? That should have been his first point. They took it away, or they didn't even give it to him. And that's an assist. There was no one with control after that play. That's an yeah. assist. They took it away. Good thing he got it yeah. at the end of the game. I was a little angry about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had the over. Felino half point. So I was pretty angry about that as well. Um, how many points should you have in the NHL? Like how many points did uh, you get screwed out of?
2: <laughs> yes. I honestly know in my brain yeah, 10 clear ones. Min- <laughs> Minimum. And, and there, there was one time I remember I was like, it was for my 200th career assist. I passed it. The guy barely tipped it. It went to Goudreau down low. He passed out front goal. And I was like, yeah, I got my 200th assist. In the period, the guy took it away. I'm like, that's the, the other team didn't have control. But there's, I mean, we could go down the line of all the players in Calgary, especially complaining about this. But um, it's just, those are plays where it, until the other team has possession of the puck or at least some sort of a possession like play, it, it's an assist. So Polino's was an assist. That's why I was like, what's going on here?
1: Dude, you've just made Calgary fans' days because they thought they were having this super disappointing season and they're looking at all their guys' numbers. And now all of a sudden. You got to give them an extra couple points for everybody. All right. Like uh, from now on, whenever I look at the Flames and I look at their score sheets and I look at the seasons the guys are having, I'm always going to say, yeah, but you should have, uh, Goudreau should have like three more assists. Uh, yeah. uh, well, like, over the course of a season, I'm going to give you three assists.
2: Well, you know what it is? Is if, if there's a player who hasn't had a point in four or five games, and then you know you've had a point, or even six or seven games, mm-hmm. and they want to take these points away, and then all of a sudden yeah. you go on another two or three game skid. That yep. mentally messes with you. So that's, that's the reason I don't like it is because they, they should all call it the same way throughout the league, whether it's not or four. But you see some buildings, it's four all the time, you know, and, some, and a lot of buildings it's not. But it should just be clear possession. That's it. I know I'm ranting on this, but no, but- it, it messes with the psychology of a player big time, especially if you're in a slump
1: but I like it because you saw Marner's reaction after the goal, right? Which was to find right. Felino. and yeah. it was to celebrate it. Like that, Leafs don't normally celebrate goals like that, where that was a joyous, big time goal. And they were really happy about it. And Marner knew about it. And that's why in overtime, he goes and, or sorry, overtime, the empty netter, he goes and fishes out the puck for Felino because they want to have that moment right away. So, no, I do think that's important, right? And Ben, Quiet. like, I, I put this over to you because we've been discussing this today where it's like, hey, how long does it take to get acclimated with things? And, and this is kind of one of those moments where you think, oh, that probably helps the situation along.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's, to go to a new team and get a first point, if you don't get it in the first one or two games, you're like, oh, the fan base thinks I'm terrible. You know, it kind of <laughs> happened to me in Toronto, and then I went to Philly, and then all of a sudden, I'm yeah, yeah. like, I haven't scored in my first three or four games. Uh, and then I got an empty netter, and I kind of got off the skid. But mm-hmm. that's what it is. You go to these new teams, you're supposed to be expected to be a point guy, and then if you're Felino, you, you expect to have a point. And I know everyone's like, oh, that's selfish to think that way, but it's not if, in, in order to be a great team, you need everyone to be obviously unselfish, but you have to be selfish for yourself to an extent. You have to expect high, high things of yourself. And if you work hard for that point or you work hard for that and you're not getting, um, you're not getting it, then it, it either ticks you off, number one, or it can start to build up and that can kind of over time start to play in the psychology of you as a player. So I was just happy he got it at the end of the game. Uh, empty net made up for the one that the, the building took away from him, which he should have.
0: Yeah, you, you can't tell me that it wasn't weighing on John Tavares' mind when he was going through that slump before breaking out this month. It absolutely is. Talking to Christopher Steig. So um, Nick Foligno doesn't even get a full practice with his team and gets thrown right into the fire, and the, they tried to protect him, I suppose. Uh, but then he gets a, a chance on the penalty kill in the third period in a one-goal game, and then he's killing off the six-on-five. This is a guy who, I guess, was given a cursory look at the schemes that the, the Leafs are, are running. How, how long does it take a player when they've been traded midseason to really feel comfortable with their new team?
2: I mean, sometimes it, you don't even become comfortable until the next year. Uh, the good thing about Nick, though, is he's a skilled player, but he relies on his size, his puck protection abilities, in and around the net. So he's not the guy who's going to be carrying the puck up the ice, generally making high-risk plays. Those type of players, it's a lot harder to make to, to do those things at the trade deadline. The players that can keep the game simpler, you know, be big and just play fast, those are the guys that generally have better success. So Nick can do that. I think it'll be um, obviously some acclimation points uh, coming up, depending on you know if he gets on the power play how he feels. But as a penalty kill guy and a guy that he's just going to be helping out the lineup and, and solidify the lineup at the moment, I think he can get that done and, and he can get acclimated in that sense uh,
1: right away. So it seems like your first impressions are that you're pretty high on him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect him to. You know, I, I would expect about a half point a game from him if you're looking at um, if you're looking at the points. You know, anywhere from point four to point five points per game, and that's what you could ask from him, especially if he's not going to be on the first power play unit every night. Um, but if you get contributions uh, at close to half a point a game, if you're going to get penalty kill if you're going to get five on six in these big moments this is what you brought him in for these veteran moments and these and to fill out the lineup and to slot guys better properly in and around the lineup um, so it helps those guys play better on their lines
1: well that's the next one right is do you think he's on the right line do you think that right now he's on the line that he'll play on in the playoffs
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you
1: guys hear my kids? This is what happened.
2: Yeah. We got three kids that are all joining in on the talk right now. Um, what, yeah. well, which
1: one has something to say? What, what's, the, what's the topic du jour?
2: I wouldn't bring in my middle kid. I don't know what you would say. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what? I, I just think as long as you keep Mitch and uh, Austin together, I think what you have there is two guys that can really play with anybody and make them successful. I think the biggest thing about playing with those two guys is just making sure who's ever with them is playing at a high level. So maybe one night it's Simmons, one night it's Foligno. It could really be Kerfoot or anybody at any moment that who's going can kind of try to help you know, get your horses flying on all cylinders. So for that, I don't think he'll be a a mainstay. I think he might be used there the most. But in and around the lineup, that's what you have. You have Willie and, and John. I would like to see those two sometimes split up but you, you seem to have your two guys that stay together and then everyone else is rotated in and around um, to kind of try to help around out that lineup. So, I think you're going to get a lot of interchangeable pieces. I don't think anything's in, in stone, but as of the moment, he's a really good fit for those two guys.
0: Yeah, we know one thing about Sheldon Keefe. He's not afraid to mix it uh, game-to-game, shift-to-shift even. Uh, Rasmus Sandin was, was thrown in there initially to just give a different look and takes Travis Dermot uh, spot, and then Bogosian goes down with the injuries. We're going to get a longer run of him. There's... A lot more offensive potential with Sandine. He's looked pretty good in, in small sample to my eyes, Chris. Like, what what do you think might be happening here on that third pairing with Sandine?
2: Well, I, I, he, the thing with him is his poise, right? That's kind of what you get there from him rather than Dermot. Dermot, you're going to get a little bit more speed and physicality. Uh, and Bogosian, you're getting, you know, a guy who can box out. He can penalty kill. So it depends really who you use in and in, around that area. But I just... I like Sandine and how he plays. I think it really depends, if you're going into a playoff series, what you want in that, that hole uh, and what type of team you're playing against. You can kind of be a little more selective at the player you want. But if, if he keeps it up this way and uh, he keeps playing the way he has, um, it, it definitely gives the Maple Leafs uh, another option at, at their depth role. Have
1: you seen a different of ours lately?
2: Yeah, confident one, right? Even that little toe drag, I forgot who he put it on. Who did he put it on there? Um, uh, but, you know, I, I just think the way when he's moving his feet, he's not so much focused on uh, the offense, and he's really doing things from his own end first. Uh, a lot more happens naturally for John, and then this last month he's got some points. Uh, that obviously drives up the confidence, and you start to feel a lot better about yourself. But when John is really hammering down on the d zone he's focusing there first and he's kind of um not cheating on the offense. I feel like he he brings such a element to this team that's needed and it also kind of helps his offense in a in a weird roundabout way
1: yeah I think he and Nylander have looked great lately and it's it's always funny with doing a sports talk show because. The more data you accumulate, the later you go in seasons, the more you look back on some takes and some opinions and some media stretches and you go, oh my god that was so foolish. And I I don't think that this show ever blew out of proportion that Tavares was not living up to expectation or Nylander. There were like moments, right, where we had Nylander discussions and we've had Tavares discussions. But, you know, you look back on it in its totality and think, wow, one of the biggest concerns for the lease was John Tavares and whether he was going to be good enough and seems like such a good problem now and such a non-concern watching him just play the way that he has been lately. So I got a theory and I want to bounce it off you. And because I think that some people think it's crazy and other people are like, maybe there's something to that. I think the Leafs have actually already promised Freddie Anderson game one of the playoffs that part of getting him to buy into the LTIR thing is, hey, you're not going to get to play in any of these games, but you're going to get the playoffs. You're our guy. We'll give you game one, maybe even game two. Maybe those are both promised at this point. So everyone would say, well, no way that he would do that because he doesn't get any games to ramp up. He doesn't get any performances where he can get in the net and feel the puck and blah, 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 get some game experience. I would say with no fans... Is it more like a scrimmage, especially when you're in the playoffs already? You're locked into a spot. You're not really battling for anything. Like that last night's game was not a hard nosed game between two teams battling for the top. It was kind of like, all right, it was a fine game. Um, Didn't have a playoff feel to it whatsoever. That it actually will be easier for a guy to replicate some version of what this season has been in a scrimmage with your teammates as a goaltender or anybody coming back from an injury for that matter, knowing that. you are going to be dropped into a game with no fans. And even if it's a high leverage one, you're going to be a little bit more familiar with your surroundings. Nah, I mean,
2: you need to play, especially as a player. I I can't really answer this as a goalie, but I know there's no fans, but you can't replicate the intensity of a game. You can't replicate like someone pushing on you and, and battling against you. Like you can feel great battling in a practice all you want, but... Guys are going 100%, but in a game, they're going 110, 120. It's really a whole different level that you have to be at in a game. So I would would argue the fact he would need to play. I mean, maybe he doesn't. Um, Again, as a goaltender, I can't really answer this question. As a player, you would like to play one or two games prior to the playoffs. If you can't, uh, your minutes need to be really managed well. Uh, I do think, obviously, the fan role does play a, a big big aspect in the psychology of players in a game more than the physicality of the game more just like the momentum swings you can see almost when games are out of hand they're done now there's nothing bringing teams back you know as a momentum swing so the psychology more for a player i think um but the physical play like as a goaltender i'm sure you want to you know you're battling in and around traffic for 60 minutes you got to stand up for 60, 80 minutes, or I don't know, more than that, 60 minutes, you're standing. So, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. I would like to see him get a couple games and get a couple reps, especially with the way the goaltenders right now are playing. You, you'd want to see Freddie come in, and now he's like, okay, you guys are all calling me out not being the starting goaltender. I remember a couple people are saying, you know, Campbell's the starting goaltender a while ago. And I was like, there, there's a different psychology that goes into being a starting goaltender, and now everyone's seeing why. So now Freddie kind of sees that himself. That should give him a confidence boost. You know, with, with the lack of play of Campbell and Rittich, that should just be like, okay, everyone thought I wasn't, now you realize I am. So that should give him a confidence boost, get him into a couple games, get him feeling good and ready for the playoffs. And then, again, that would slot those backup goaltenders in a better spot to where they're not playing every night, and if they're they're called upon, then they can be ready. So... I'd like to see him get a couple of games. That was a long-round answer into way. No,
1: but it's uh, everyone would like to see him get a couple of games. Yeah, it's just that the only possible. way that you can do it is if you put Hyman on LTIR. So basically, to me, you've got to make a decision of which guy can you drop into a playoff game with less conditioning and game feel and all those things. I guess like the case for Hyman would be, well, he's got the style of play where it's so not like- really going to – what Foligno
0: yeah like the the right. I mean you were making about Felino dropping into this lineup and not needing a ton of reps that it's yeah he's not a guy who's going to be dangling people out of their skates he's a guy that's just going to bang bodies on the forecheck try and play hard nosed and uh, that seems like a guy that wouldn't need as many game reps as say an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner
2: yeah it's just the feel of the game it's much different for different guys um yeah, see I I don't know the exact LTR, LTIR T I R issues 'cause issues cuz Riley Nash can't come in till playoffs yeah, no, either, right? No, no. And that's going to be that's going to be tough for him. He for me is the X factor, right? Cuz yeah. I still don't trust the three-hole at all um in a in a seven-game series not against these Canadian teams. Against against Winnipeg when when Lowry's back, but against those big American teams, man, when you're you're lying up against Colorado maybe in the semis um, you know, or Tampa Bay. And these teams are three centers deep there. They can check, they can do everything. That three hole really worries me in that sense. And that's where Riley will need to really step in with not much conditioning and take over and take charge of that, that line, because it, you need someone to win draws. You need someone to check the top lines. And, you know, when you're on the road, you, you're going to need lines that can create offense on the third line. Um, and I know you're getting that at times, but that that's over a seven game series against these top teams. That's the part again of the lineup that worries me. I love everything they did at the at the trade deadline, um, but for me, that again, I know I made up my own question here too. But the X factor, a guy coming off LTIR, would be um, for me is Riley Nash.
1: Yeah, I, I like that X factor. I think it works out, and I, a lot of people are looking at that and saying, "Yeah, that move was made for a reason." And if you're the Leafs, what I really love about it is you can play Nash. You can really ease him into your lineup, even in a playoff game, because you should be getting 40 minutes a night from your top two lines. Right. So you've got two thirds of the game that should essentially be down. And then, yeah, potentially there's this Hyman and Mikheyev grouping where you can eat a whole bunch of other minutes. You've just you've got enough depth where you can give a guy like that a shift off. You can throw Austin Matthews over the board for an extra shift. You can throw John Tavares over the board for an extra shift. Like, he doesn't need to be everything for you right away. You can maybe condition him on the fly a little bit differently than, say, you could with some other teams that don't have as much depth in that position.
2: A hundred percent. Another thing with Nash, which plays into his benefit in this position, is he's a hard worker, but he's a super smart player, very cerebral. So he doesn't have to work as hard as, say... You know, um, a lot of these other centers, even Angvall at center, because Angvall really relies on you know his body a little bit more to do things, and his skating. Nash relies on his brain. So, um, for me, that's where looking at his conditioning, it's essential. Not as essential as it is for a guy like Angvall, maybe even Hyman, Um, but it's not as essential just because he's so smart. He's always in position. He makes really good passes and plays. It's for him, it's coming up to speed on the on what the Leafs are doing in every situation.
1: Yeah, the other part of bringing him in is that you lose nothing in Engvall, to me. It's like, okay, <laughs> I guess he's out. But... Well, and then he's a, be- he's a better winger anyways.
2: Again, these are yeah. guys like Engvall, um, Kerfoot. I like mm. them better on the wing. I like them going up and down the lineup. I kind of like what I touched on with Felino at the start. If Felino's not going one night, take him out and put Engvall there. You know what I mean? No. Take him out and try. You you have these players that you, you you can put Thornton there. You have all these no. players that can go play one period there. One period, one shift. That's what Quenville used to do. He would like all of a sudden I would have like I, I would I told this story like a bunch of times I had like 15 points in like seven games with Kane right he was just giving me open nets and then on game eight he benched me you know because I wasn't going for like one shift and then all of a sudden Bickle went over the boards and Bickle scored you know and then Bickle was playing good for like a two periods and then he he was benched basically and then like Sharp went there you know what I mean you're and I know I'm talking about players that. Um, can do this and play all up and down the lineup. But the Leafs have those guys. So just play who's going with those stars. Rotate those guys up in the lineup. And when they're not going, take them out of the lineup and put someone in who's going. That's what it's about. It's hard on you as a player mentally because you're like, what the hell's going on? It's like you're you're doing great and all of a sudden you're out of the lineup almost. But it's just what they're going to have to do in order to win.
0: Yeah, can't see Nick Foligno ever (laughs) in the lineup.
2: Not, uh, not Nick Polino out of the lineup. I'm talking more on the Engvall and Kerfoot. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. guys, once you move them over to the wing um, full-time, those are the guys you can rotate in and out, or, or Joe, you know. You, these are guys that can really spot Phil, who's ever, you know, feeling it at the moment.
0: Bring on the playoffs, man. Uh, Chris, always great talking to you.
1: Thanks for this, buddy.
2: Yeah, so, anytime no. you guys need guys to make up questions and answer them on their own, it. just let me know.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, why actually, are we even honestly, here? We don't... No, we, we don't I was need going to, be to say here. Fridays now. Fridays, you're just going to be a regular guest because we're kind of tired by Friday. We've used up a lot of takes. So I'm just yeah. going to let you take the ball and run with it from now on.
2: A nice little Q&A just with me, eh? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> you and then maybe bring in the middle kid just to spice it up, you know? Like, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: again, I don't trust him.
1: I don't. Uh, that's, <laughs> I don't. What makes, that's what makes it an exciting block. That's what makes it an yeah. exciting block. We'll see what he has to say. Hey, buddy, thanks again okay. for doing this. We'll talk okay. to you Take care.
0: See you, bud. See you, Chris. Chris Stig, Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, for me, it's my youngest son, uh, and his yeah. vocabulary is not uh, not up to total snuff. But yeah, he would be
1: he'd be the stick of dynamite thrown in there. Ah, uh, he just yells is his thing. He's just a yeller. Also, you basically you know he sees you on the phone, <laughs> and that's his oh magnet to approach you with inane questions. Right? You take a phone call, and now he's what interested you, in you. Why no. is that? It's a I don't jealousy know. thing. Like your your
0: attention isn't on us and that's a problem.
1: Same thing happens when you're dating people and you're with somebody and you'd be, you could no, but I'm just saying you could be hanging out, you could be watching a show and not talking or whatever. And then the second you're on your cell phone, they're like Mm -hmm. looking at you like, Hey, what's that? Who's that? What, what are you doing? You're like, what does it matter? Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> All of a sudden, I have the phone, and it's the conch of your consciousness where you just all of a sudden care about me. All of a sudden, I'm relevant and cool. There's a reason why people fake phone calls when they're stuck alone or <laughs> that's uh, They don't want to seem say, alone. They want to seem cool.
0: I was going to say this is the fake maybe texting. getting some I- insight into your psyche as to why you were so phone-obsessed whenever I see you in a one-on-one setting. There's a lot of – you're trying to gin up the, the jealousy, and I won't have it. I do not feel jealous. You know what? You you go be alone with your phone. It's your best no. friend anyways.
1: Do you know what it actually is? It's just so boring. I'm like, God, I have mm-hmm. to be on my phone. Like, I can't mm-hmm. be with this guy for 10 more minutes without looking out. at my phone and talking to somebody else about how bored I am. That's what I'm doing. You know? How's that? That was hurtful. Yeah. Yeah, it That's
0: was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to play guitar. I know like a couple songs I can play like The Start of Today By Smashing Pumpkins I can play the chorus Of Bulls on Parade
1: <laughs> I'm just but disgusted Picturing you do that But yeah go out, I keep talking Well it only
0: happens After like a few drinks and, you know, Oh yeah see, like, Somebody's acoustic makes it even guitar worse like But that. it's yeah. yeah it's not done In a serious manner <laughs> But yeah Is anything you USA. do Done in a serious manner? No No uh, no. no certainly not um, but, yeah, this needs to go into the arsenal of, of, of songs that I can play despite not uh, knowing how to play guitar because it seems simple enough. And what a banger. And then you just put that earworm in people's heads the rest of the day, certainly, probably the rest of the week. Um, hopefully, we've done that for our next guest, which is a, a great gift to him. Uh, Craig Simpson of the NHL and Sportsnet, part of uh, the broadcast yesterday, uh, Leafs and Jets. Craig, thanks for doing this. How's it going?
3: And it's going okay. Can't, can't everybody do the first few chords of Smoke on the Water? You know? Oh, yeah. From yeah, that people. was... Well, on a, that's about as far as I can go on the guitar, I think, <laughs> but...
1: <laughs> uh, it's weird. It's like some of those things are just like – it's like passed down generation to generation. <laughs> everybody knows. No, I,
3: I, I might be dating myself age-wise. No. But I said I everybody, everybody – knows that. Knows that's that.
1: the first all-time riff. Get. Yeah, all-time yeah. riff. That, uh, that's the crazy thing about it, right, is that it's a, such an all-time memorable riff as well, and yet it's the yeah. easiest thing to do. That guy must have been showing the band like, hey, guys, what do you think about the – got something bah. for you, yeah.
3: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yo, like, name another deep wow purple song like i don't i couldn't tell you a single other
2: one
1: i uh, yeah. i feel like i had a deep purple greatest hits cd at one point in my oh life my but goodness. yeah i know but i can't tell you off the top of my head i, I think if i google i'd be able to tell you like some of their other songs yeah. but no but imagine doing that easy chord progression Bum bum bum, and then he then he looked at the band and was like, "I've just made us all rich." Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. we don't
0: okay, <laughs> we, we give up anything else we've ever worked on. We can all put it behind yeah. us.
1: Yeah, just relax. It's over. It's over <laughs> for all of us. We've done it. We've all done it. We we made it. We made the bum bum bum, and now rich forever. I uh, love it. So... so some of the best things
3: are it's the simplicity of it, it's right? True. That uh, connects with people.
1: Absolutely, so, kind of like this—the simplicity of just putting Nick Foligno on top line and just making it look easy.
3: <laughs> hey, I, I guess it is a good segue, and uh, I, I think at times—and I know fans and you guys talking every day—you want to complicate everything, right? It, it's uh, it's the real realization of how fans dive in and look into it. But there are times. I, I thought last night's game was one that. Uh, Two things stood out to me in the fact that uh, Sheldon has not been uh, afraid to tinker with his lineup, to make guys a little bit uncomfortable, play with different uh, pairings on the back end, you split up so that when you have to do that with injuries, which do happen, or even mid-game, which happens in a playoff series, you know, uh, you don't want that to be the first time. But I I thought last night to go back with his pairings of Brody and Riley and Muzzin and Hall, and then uh, keep the addition of uh, of Sandine going in there, was kind of the right timing. Yeah, you, you know, I think one of our keys to the game was a fresh start last night for the Leafs. And, but with uh, Foligno coming in, you knew there'd be a little bit of energy for him. Guys always want a veteran guy to come in and have some success. Uh, and I think having some of that familiarity actually played pretty well for them to get the deep pairings back and, uh, you know, allow them to get settled into a game
1: so you said keith loves to tinker he's the tinkerer but do you leave that top line now
3: oh i think for now you do for sure i i let's face it i i think when you look around on all the lines and try to say okay what's the good fit uh as everybody's talked about you know most good teams have the pairs you for for the Leafs, they've got clearly Marner and Matthews have to play together. I, I know in the past and last year a bit, you had Tavares and Marner. But, the, you know, it's pretty clear the success value there. Nylander and Tavares are playing some of their best hockey now. So, But let's face it, I, I think everybody, whether it's John, whether it's Austin, would love to have Hyman. Uh, like in a playoff series, Hyman is a difference maker because you know it gets tight, you know it gets hard to play, there's not as much room, and Hyman's a guy who creates room, separates pots, gets it for you, and can make some plays. Um, But right now, with it going the way it did last night, and one of the things that you always want to do as a coach too when you've got a veteran guy coming in is bloody put him in a position where he can have some success. And so I think, you know, Nick knew how he had to play. You got a great opportunity to play with two great players. So I I think you'll see that for the the small future anyways, to try to keep that trio together and see if you get some real chemistry and some real production from him.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be a passenger, but yeah, the, you can um, pretty well just watch those other two guys do their thing offensively and just play hard uh, on the forecheck and try and retrieve some pucks, and you're probably going to end up with a point. Probably should have ended up with uh, two yesterday. Talking to Craig Simpson, you mentioned the D pairings being back reunited, except for the third one, because Zach Bogosian's still out. Um yep even reunited though there were some weird plays and i know the the muzzin play was weird where he loses his stick <laughs> yeah. uh yeah that was a bizarre one maybe just a fluky one not used to seeing that play from tj brody either it's kind of been a, a a really rough couple of games for that entire decor. they played so well it's been one of the the calling cards of this change in how this team yeah. has played this season what do you think is happening recently on the blue line
3: you know i i think that it's uh if you look at what game 47 last night that would usually put you in january february mode and if if you've watched nhl seasons for years and years you know there always seems to be sort of a middle season later part of the you know our first part of the second half where you do get some strange happenings and you know it's a lot of hockey that you're playing and it's a lot to ask guys to be mentally sharp every single night not make mistakes and if you can think back uh, you know i i always felt as a player you always had a a January or February lull or a slump or some weird things start happening. And and honestly, that is sometimes when coaches do some tinkering to try to, you know, snap you out of it. So I don't think it's unusual to go through a stretch where even your most reliable defense all of a sudden are making some plays that you're just looking and wondering, you know, what are you thinking there? You, you look at the goals last night uh, you know, a turnover down low, muzzin in the corner, and he stays with the guy deep in the corner, and you leave, uh, you know, a, a player wide open like Kopp behind the net and give him time to make a play, and another one and a, a turnover outside. You know, those things are what hockey is all about, is reacting to those kind of things and making your opponent pay. So uh, I think it's... Uh, I think I'm sure what Sheldon was trying to do last night was get some sense of calm and... and um you know, just continuity back in the lineup because of the troubles they've had scoring. Guys, last night was only the third time all year they've given up over 35 shots, and they only gave up 37. So you think historically for this group, you know, it was a good 35 to 40 on on many nights. So it has been a tighter defensive ship, and I think you just go through those little ups and downs trends where guys just aren't, Executing at the level that you're accustomed to, and you got to find a way as a group to make it through and and get the wins when everyone's not perfect. And I thought last night was probably a bit of an example of that.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, hopefully, you get that uh, Connor Hellebuck in the playoffs if you're a Leaf fan. Uh, sorry to Craig. Oh God!
3: Like, wasn't that a shock? I I, did, I I really do think that 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 first goal by Austin though. When you think, uh, what, 19, what was it, 27 seconds in and a shot from far out. You know, as a proud goaltender, you're top of your game, and he just got beat. And that rattles you a little bit. You know, and I I thought even the first three shots almost all went in. The first two did, but he almost let in the first three. So that that was a shocking night.
1: You know, I I was thinking about this last night, though, too, right, is how – What does that do for a team when, and it's not like they haven't been able to score on Hellebuck this year, right? He's played phenomenally against them, but they still have found ways to get pucks by him. But what does that do for your group when, like, is there something even more impactful that you can learn from this game other than, hey, we're humanizing this guy a little bit. Hey, he doesn't look terrifying to us heading into a playoff or a potential playoff matchup.
3: Yeah, I think you're always looking for just a, a comfort edge that uh, every shooter will tell you I've got certain goaltenders that I know I can score on. Like, I just see the net. I, I You you just have a feel for how the goalie moves and, you know, you'll have a group that says feels good about playing against the guy. And then, as you've seen, and that's the beauty of a playoff series when... You know you're going to see the same guy every night, so you got to find a way to be better than him every night, or take away his eyes, or get some rebounds because he's so sharp and and hard to beat. Um, it can work both ways. So yeah, there, there are some goaltenders that a shooter looks at and says, "I, I just don't see any net." You know, there it's a, it's a strange happening when you. You don't maybe read his movements as well, or you have even just any kind of a mental block. is such a negative thing for a goal-scoring mindset. So I I think it is maybe a really important one. You know what it's like, though, guys. Maybe tomorrow night Hellebeck comes back and is unbeatable. And that, again, is the beauty of sport, where uh, it doesn't matter what happened last night when you drop the puck tomorrow night.
1: So you've watched a lot of hockey and Ben was teeing up the game yesterday as one of the more important ones of the season. And I didn't disagree because... The the most
0: important. Yeah, you (laughs) did say the
1: most important. I did not agree with that. That's why I said it the way that I did. Uh, But even still, it didn't have a playoff feel to it. And part of it is that you chase the goaltender early and it makes it a wonky game. Like the pucks are just going in, right? What was it, like three shots, four goals, which probably changes the atmosphere. But I have felt this for a while now, and I can't tell if it's just... I'm looking for something that I want to see, if it is the fan element of it, if it's because I've seen the same team so many times over that my eyes are playing tricks on me, but it just, the hockey does not seem overly intense right now, and I wonder if you're seeing the same thing, and if this is just a byproduct of no fans and too many times against the same teams, and now these guys are just desperate to drop the puck and have these games be meaningful again.
3: Yeah, I, I think there's no question that there's the no fans just changes games incredibly. Like uh, it's hard you you've seen so many times where a momentum swing, a big hit, and the energy in the building, and you know now all of a sudden you've got a team back on their heels and they feel like they're playing worse than they really are because the crowd is so crazy and into it. So there is that element, but you know I think it's style of play too. You know the Leafs aren't a hard hitting team. And look at every game that they go into; you, you don't see the big numbers. Uh, I think if you watched in contrast the Montreal Edmonton game the night before on on the Wednesday night, that was a nasty kind of mean playoff style game, and uh, I think it did really resonate watching our game. And I and I agree with you that when you get three goals in such short fashion and a and a respected goalie getting pulled, you know the game does sort of take a different path there and it becomes maybe different than it would have been had it been a grinded out game early on. But okay. the Leafs haven't been playing that style and they haven't really been dragged into that type of game, I don't think, for a while. So it'll be interesting to watch. I I, I do find there's the fatigue of playing against the same opponent all the time. I said from the beginning of this season, the uniqueness of all you have to do as a head coach and a coaching staff is focus on six teams. So I got to worry about six to twelve goaltenders, and I can break them down. Six power plays, six penalty kills. You know, it does become more difficult to show anything unique and be different, uh, and not have times when you you find yourself frustrated and shut down. But I would I would beg to say that your your view that it wasn't as intense it was. Mm probably bang on. And uh, that is a concern when you look at the past of, you know, all of a sudden you get to play off style hockey and you got to ratchet it up to another level and you got to absorb maybe 10 more hits than you normally would in a game. And can you play that way? And can you be effective and can you score offensively? So I think you're, you're hoping that there's some more in these last nine games, some good battles where the intensity level maybe is up a little bit more.
0: Wayne Simmons did his part trying to rattle some bones and take that penalty in the first period. But, yeah, it didn't really last. Um, Craig, uh, great stuff. Thanks for doing this.
3: Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Take care, guys.
0: Yeah, you too. Craig Simpson of the NHL on Sportsnet. Again, a penalty I would take 100 times out of 100 in the first period of a regular season game that has implications but doesn't really. I don't know if necessarily I want that penalty taken, in the postseason, um but yeah, it was totally all fun uh, totally fine with what Wayne Simmons did in that first period,
1: you alright? yeah, I got a, a classic this is the work from home weirdness, right is like every once in a while, like maybe I should put i just thought about this maybe I should put a do not knock our on the door during uh, the show
0: it's Yeah, like, probably.
1: yeah, sometimes like I live in an like a smaller building. Where all of a sudden I'll just get a knock. And how do you ignore the knock at the door? You're like, what? who, who, who could this be? So, so I'm okay. was it? The delivery. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a neighbor offering no, but I or asking for a cup to... of sugar.
1: Dude, when it's a – usually it's a knock. They say delivery now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's neighbor. I'm a pretty good neighbor though. I'm a pretty good tenant. Like, I don't have a track record of being, getting them mad at me. I think when we first lived here, what? Go ahead. Oh, well,
0: I was just about to say that I, I don't live in an apartment building. I live mm-hmm. not in a townhouse either. I live in a semi-detached house. So I, mm-hmm. I share a wall yeah. with my neighbors. And I just recently became the owner of a digital drum kit, which mm-hmm. is a drum kit, but it's not. Listen, mm-hmm. you can I've, adjust I've the volume. That. Yeah and i just even more recently than that became the owner of an actual roland amplifier monitor that comes with it and i had that thing down like it was below 1 yesterday but it was bassy and i loved it and i wondered hmm huh, perhaps this is i am trending into bad bad neighbor territory i haven't heard anything i then the thing about my neighbors is i have it not once ever heard a peep from i barely see them i assume they still live there they haven't just abandoned the house but they are as quiet as anyone's ever had as as neighbors the only thing i ever hear is occasionally i'll hear the laundry machine running through the door like just just barely 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 i don't think they'd even be the neighbors that said anything if there was a problem there but yeah there's almost no way they they didn't hear me playing bulls on parade yesterday
1: so, one of the big pandemic byproducts has probably been everyone is a little bit more aware of their neighbors, who lives above them, who lives beside them, uh, and whether or not you're in a lucky spot. I, I still believe that I am a good neighbor, but I am certainly the one who you know plays music and I work yeah. out in my apartment, which means I'm kind of not never around late.
0: The that's the thing. thing. Like, come on, yeah, that's fine gonna, as like, long as it's like not like late. Five like o'clock, you gotta, yeah, in you the evening. Come late, on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm just saying that I have never once hated the people below me or, well, la- Lady Above Me is a little, is a little, you know, a bit of wild card. Uh, but, but it's like I live below one lady, so it's like I don't hear her clomping around, you know? I barely ever hear her. Sometimes I'm just like, okay, you know, am I the one who has to, you know, find you if you die? Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that's... Like it's been exceptionally yeah. quiet yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, right. So... Uh we're we're all good on that front. Alright, I'm going back to Nick Felino here. The more I think about it, the more I'm starting to believe there's more potential actually for Felino to be down the lineup than I thought.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um is this that, what you're going to say? Because I had the same yeah. thought talking to Craig, is that yeah. it's such an easy first couple mm-hmm. of games to get acclimatized to just slot in next to, to the hottest offensive players in the entire league and just, just work hard. Just mm-hmm. just be that guy for a couple of games. Ease your way in. No, understand the, the different schemes. And then at that point, you can run your
1: own line. So... He gets to play with those guys. If it's undeniable, you keep it together, right? You reassess, kind of like with the Galchenyuk thing, where Galchenyuk's been so good that it's sort of hard to move him out of your top six. He just doesn't fit nearly as well in your third line, and he's working with he works with both top groups so far. I don't love the idea of Galchenyuk in the playoffs as a top six guy because my brain won't get over the hurdle that is... He's been dumped from multiple teams and multiple seasons, and in an all-in year, do you really want that guy? But the the good thing is is that you have what Versteeg says. Well, if he's not going, you just take him off the line, and you sub somebody else in, and you've got a lot of roster flexibility. So I think you start the postseason with Galchenyuk in the top six, but you're very, 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 very quick to move off of it regardless of what he has done in these regular season games, especially since, as I've said, there hasn't been a lot of juice in a lot of these matchups, which is always makes it harder when you're judging guys like that and you say, well, are other guys coming down to your level and you're coming up a little bit? And where where's the in-between here? Where is the, the true you? If we drop you in a playoff series against Mark Shifley and he's chasing you around and giving you the business, are you going to be able to withstand that for 17 minutes a night in meaningful games? I don't know. I don't think the Galchenyuk thing is proven for the playoffs. I think it's proven that he should get a shot in the playoffs. But if Hyman can go and you're saying, hey, you're going to ease somebody back in or you're going to throw somebody back up into a spot where they don't have to anchor something after being off for a while, then you just do the same thing. You put him back up with the top line, you shift Felino down, and then you do have a third line where you say it's potentially Felino, Riley Nash, and Ilya Mikheyev. And you feel really good about that. You feel really, 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 really good about that even though and and again Nash he's probably cycling out and you're throwing a Tavares or a Matthews in between those other two guys for a shift here and there.
0: I love that. Uh, I really like that potential. I mean, Riley Nash is going to need the same thing, but there's only one top line. You can't throw well, Riley Nash it Riley onto Nash. the top no, no, no. line.
1: <laughs> but you're that's what I'm saying is that you can shelter Riley Nash by yeah. throwing Jason Spezza a couple more minutes up the middle between those two guys.
0: Well, and you you're not throw, and you can you can have Felino centering that line and Nash getting a little less responsibility yeah. starting off on the wing and then eventually right. he centers that line and then yeah, Felino. It's a it's just a it's um the options
1: right. if you that's
0: change it. your mind are just so much better now.
1: Yes. That's the that's the beauty of Nick Felino. You can just put him in a whole bunch of different situations and he's not the kind of guy that needs to build up chemistry with people. You, Nick Felino doesn't need chemistry to be able to play with Jason Spezza. It will work. He doesn't need chemistry to play with John Navarro. is going to work. But Austin Matthews is going to work. Nick Foligno is going to be situational independent. He's going to be fine. Maybe not as many points if he's not playing with Matthews Marner, right? Like, I'm not betting Nick Felino on CoolBet to get over a point or over a half point yesterday if he's down the lineup and he's only getting 10 minutes. But... I just believe that he can play his style of hockey and be effective no matter where you put him in the lineup. And having that versatility and that ability to just kind of shuffle things up, when you have a coach who's a tinkerer, that matters. That's This is a perfect blend of coach who likes to do things a certain way and players who the coach tries to make and, and put in better positions, right? Like, it's a very symbiotic relationship that this team has with their coach.
0: Yeah. Good word. Symbiotic.
1: Well yeah. done. Uh, it's because I watched Spider Man as a kid, not because I read a biology book. <laughs>
0: my kid, oh my God. My I three year old has so. lit- literally every day, uh, there's not a day that goes by that he doesn't say, uh, I want to watch yeah. Spider Man. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's watched uh, Spider Man
1: um, Into the Spider Verse <laughs> 3,000 <000 laughs> times. So I love that. He's basically Memento, where he's just forgotten every day, where he just walks up to you, He's like, do you want to watch Spider-Man? And he thinks in your brain, you're like, yeah. obviously I want to watch Spider-Man as much yeah. as you for the 3,000th time. No. Obviously. Duh.
0: No, and my wife is like, well, he shouldn't watch the same thing. I was like, why not? Why not? Yeah. Like, if he likes it, what? What? Yeah. What? it shuts him up for a couple of minutes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Throw the Spider-Man on. Who cares? Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's not yeah, watching no. uh I, no, he's got <laughs> he's Citizen Kane on with got, the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Put Citizen Kane on for him. He's got to understand the, <laughs> the meaning of film. Good film. Yeah, no, it's fine. Put Spider-Man on for the millionth time. My little niece, she basically watches uh the Grinch Christmas movie every single day of her life. Same thing. It's like, and she yeah. points out the exact same things every time you watch it with yeah. her. The exact same things every single time. They are like, Look, it's the Grinch. I'm like, Yeah, I know. I see. Yeah. <laughs> it's He's cranky in the morning. Yep. No, this is a great <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's Yeah, it's great. I enjoy her commentary. Director's cut. Anyway.